0: Scratch and smooth.
1: My special guest today is a dropping actor living and working in Manchester and has totalled up an impressive CV of roles in TV and radio, including a BBC sitcom, her own Radio 4 series, and currently one of the stars of Britain's Best Loved Soaps. Her medical condition, Type 3 Ellis danlos Syndrome, is clearly not holding her back in the pursuit of a successful acting career. Ladies and gentlemen, Shirley Houston. Okay, Shirley, it's wonderful to have you on the show. Our second Cory legend this season, as Julie House joined us at the beginning. Um welcome to Scratch and Sniff Online.
2: Oh, hello. And yeah, happy to be following Jules.
1: And well let's start initially by rolling back those years and talking about your background and important influences like school and family, etc., that both began to mould you and allowed you to find inspiration in getting into acting.
2: Oh gosh. Um that's quite a start question, isn't <laughs> quite it? A massive question. What's
1: your favourite colour? Should we start with it? <laughs> blue. Oh, it's mine as well. Is it? Yeah. I like a petrol
2: blue. Oh, get you. Yeah, but um, oh no, influences. Well, I went to youth theatre from the age of sixteen. Um, I got a lot of influences from the Duke's Playhouse Theatre, um, because they let you be parts of their shows. You learn a lot about. Acting discipline, staging, all the different aspects of it. Um, yeah, Victoria Munich led there, and she was quite inspirational in the fact that she took us as a group to see so many shows all over. You know, we were forever coming through to Manchester. We went, we saw. I remember saw a Complicité show called Streets of Crocodiles, and then in six months later, she took us to see where Bruno Schultz had lived in Poland, in Warsaw. So fascinating, yeah, and saw a lot of different theatre there.
1: So what was your first uh, role then? I, I heard I a heard rumour, something about a pantomime horse. You want to uh, expand on that?
2: Yeah. No, that was linked to the Dukes again because I'd would i been part of their youth theatre for two years and when they did their shows in the summer season, as a group, me and my youth theatre mates used to do a take-off of the play, pick one act and mimic them at the after-show party on the last night and from that... The director gave me offered me an acting ASM role at the Duke's Playhouse as front end of the pantomime horse, Cinderella's double, and the wolf, and I had to pull a lot of ropes.
1: Oh right, okay. I've been back end quite a few times, but I do know my place. So. <laughs> Was there anybody at school, or in terms of um, early influences that led into you wanting to get into drama school in the first place?
2: Oh, um, seeing the film Annie made me want to, <laughs> even though I can't sing and I can't dance. <laughs> But that really made me want to. My my dad helped me go to youth theatre. As soon as I could get on the train, I was up and down all the time on my own. Um, there was a few inspirational teachers as well. Mr. Yeah, yeah. first I remember taught me a lot in English, and mm. a lot about plays and things. Right, okay. But I always wanted to be an actor.
1: And your parents, your family encouraged you that they were happy for you to go down this uncertain path of being an actor?
2: Yeah, they didn't seem to... Yeah, I mean, yes, I remember at school, uh, what they called, the career...
1: Uh, advisors yeah, or something they really like say scale it down you're british you know?
2: <laughs> yeah we're sort of like do you no i don't really think you could do that Cheryl. but yes i did and that was nothing to do with disability or anything then that was just because i was still yeah. bodied then
1: so um, i mean have uh, have you uh, seen these people since you know have you said well i i I think I've proved myself am I? <laughs> No, no, I haven't I mean
2: it wasn't I think it's just it's that thing when you come from a small town and if you're like the first to go to university and stuff in a way you're the career sector that group and community feel you go into. It's just felt like that's not a place for us.
1: When did you first realise there were health issues, and did that initially sort of put you off striving to succeed in the acting profession, when clearly it shouldn't anyway, but because of a potential prejudice that you might have encountered?
2: Oh, um, well, I started. I found I started having pain at age eleven, and I went to drama school. And halfway through drama school, I was then told, "If you carry on doing the lifestyle you're doing as a physical, you'll be in a wheelchair within five years." As it was, I was in within three. But it never really entered my head that I couldn't do it. I mean, yes. Absolutely. Everybody on my peripheral did, but I'm one of those people If you, yeah, just determined, really. But it was when I left college I realised, are there any actual roles for disabled actors? Because back... I mean, it's changed, but it's not changed that much. But back then there was no disabled actors on telly. There was, you know... At that point I was still walking. So it's like I could do certain roles. But I didn't work for a few years, and which made me set up my own company.
1: Oh, let's talk about that then. I mean, that sounds it. That sounds. This was a theatre company, wasn't
2: yes. it? Yes, it was. But it was me and a, a very good one of my, my best mate, really. And she has been. Well, I suppose we became best friends through this. She's now a clinical psychologist, but we set up a theatre company together to try to make the change of disability in the media. Because I felt the only way it would change for prejudice in society if it changed on telly, if it changed in the newspapers, if it changed on radio, if it changed in theatres everywhere. Do you know what I mean? So we did things like, because there was so little training for actors with disabilities, we did um, audition workshops, so like a week-long course. So we got funding for people to come and stay from all over the country, and then they'd be, we'd have professionals in from the theater and the telly mm. to sort of talk them through, and then we'd have mock TV and theater auditions at the end of the week. So they learnt the series of skills of how to hone a text, right. what to look under it and stuff. Um, we did things like, we put on shows as well, and they were always um, multi-sensory accessible, so they...
1: Wonderful. Um,
2: ...always had, for every audio, you had a visual, and for every visual, you had an audio. So it had its own sound score, it had um, text, it had sign language in the background, or well, it was always put in a creative way. You know, it wasn't just stamped on, it became part of the action. We did things like we went out and... We went. We worked with other theatre companies. We went. We did one with um, Action Transport in Ellesmere Port. We did one where... Uh, we went out into all different schools in the area and worked did workshops with disabled kids and then if they were interested they came and did a week-long youth theatre for a half term mixed with able-bodied kids and then those kids who wanted to we went and then trained the youth theatre leaders near them so they could make their work accessible so they could start going so it was like trying to infiltrate to every level Mm -hmm. because you can't make those changes and you know you need somebody I mean that's the difference now because I've been on for five years there's at least and like Lisa Hammond's now on EastEnders Liz Carr's now on um, Silent Witness so you know we're getting and there are you know smatterings of other disabled actors here and there it's different but then back then as a kid where's your role models to even know you can do that as a Mm -hmm. career
1: absolutely so drama school tell us a little bit about that Um, did you feel that you blossomed during that period made good friends and was that a good sort of growing period for you as a person as well as becoming an actor
2: I made some very very good friends. I think I learnt a lot. I think if I'm honest, I almost felt it blocked my instincts as an actor for a while because I'd over the process. Mm. But I don't know, you know. It, I think I got very very good training where I went, art and school theatre. Um, yeah, and it was oh, it's great to be doing the thing you loved full time for three years. Mm.
1: So you started your career. Um, I know you've done Doctors, The Bill, uh, Holby, City, um, Emmerdale, and let's talk about Little Britain as well because that sounds absolutely fantastic. Um, You were with Andy, the disabled um, character, and apparently pushed you down a hill or something?
2: Yeah, he did. It was it was very funny because it was, it was one of the... They were such lovely people as well. And it was quite... I think there was a bit of sense in the room at the time and, they, and Matt actually said it out loud, you know, because, you know, it's normally him and then suddenly he feels a bit aware that there's somebody there who is actually a wheelchair user and playing on the gag that they're playing. But it was brilliant. But I was so excited because I thought that I was going to get to wheel down this hill. And then suddenly there was a man dressed like me in a wig. Oh, <laughs> what like, a shame. No. I really I was just going, just give me a shove, I'll do it. It's fine. <laughs> Uh, I know uh, uh, insurance and health and safety and so on. Oh, but they were lovely because I came in audition for that part and they said, "Well, you come a long way just for that, so will you read for another?" Right. And then they put me in that as well, so I was in a computer says no one mm. as well.
1: Computer says no. <laughs> <coughs> so that was lovely. And that was just like a general part. It wasn't. It wasn't. A, there was no disability connection with that.
2: No, but I think that's what slightly will start to become the change with the media right. is that once they see that you can act. Then they yeah. go, oh, you could do, oh, it's just yeah. for a bit more forward thinking. Mm-hmm. And at the moment, there's so much fear surrounded by it or, or getting it wrong.
1: Do you find in- industry perceptions just continually are a b- little bit dumb? I mean, people pl- play a certain sort of role and they just think, well, that's all you can do. And it, it really just does take you to actually do something else for them to say,
0: oh,
2: OK. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't think they're... Dumb, I think they're fearful. Okay,
1: perhaps not dumb, that was perhaps (laughs) a naughty word, but it's it's frustrating for some people I've spoken to in the past.
2: Oh, it's incredibly frustrating. I get mine (laughs) massively frustrating, but I just think they need to think outside the box a bit. It's that thing of also... Do you need to write the character disabled? Could you just not get an actor, the best actor for the role? And let disabled say, actors start auditioning? And that's slightly changing a mm. little bit. We've been working with Corey, and Corey's made massive changes while I've been mm. there. We've had several um, actors in, in like, a couple of episode roles who've got a disability where the disability's mm. not mentioned. They're mm. just audi- auditioning for a part.
1: Somebody, somebody quite recently, I seem to remember, he was, at the, he was, I don't know, some salesman or something.
2: Ah, yeah. Well, it was in the
1: bar or something.
2: Oh well, that's pretty, Yeah, there's there's quite a few yeah. different people, and that's and we've done. We actually did an audition workshop course run by ITV just before Christmas, actually. Oh. Um, and then the, all the actors got an opportunity to be filmed by uh, and work with corey um, directors. And then they were all taught how uh, from the casting director in the morning how to approach an audition, yeah. all the information they needed. So it's changing. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So the other roles you played, the doctors you were apparently playing somebody with multiple sclerosis for, for Bill Holby, MDL, I'm not so sure. Were, were were these general roles or were they roles that required a dis- disability?
2: They were all roles that required a disability. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I, kind of, I think that's been my career. I discovered early on because I could never get an agent for years because of my disability. So I had to be my own, which was good for me, actually, because it taught me a lot of discipline. And so, I'm
1: negotiating for the right fee, hopefully. <laughs> <Okay>.
2: <laughs> yeah, not as good on that one. More about getting the role. <laughs> right, okay, okay. But yeah, more about writing off and ensuring people knew who mm. I was and that I was around. So mm. as soon as a disabled role came up, I would get a call mm. for an audition. But yeah, I've auditioned for male parts. I've auditioned. I was once in a shed looking for my toolbox because they just wanted a wheelchair. They didn't care whether it was male or female. <laughs> and all the lines were so male. It was just, oh, really? yeah, it really was. And um, yeah, but I, I realised early on that a good career would come out of medical dramas, or at least opportunities. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah I wrote, but yes, most, <laughs> played a lot of disabilities. Right. Yeah, like I had a role once that I was brought in to make the other person in the wheelchair feel better about themselves.
1: Absolutely bloody charming. Perhaps you could just come in and play a role where you just, you've got a cold or something. I mean, that's as far as it goes, you know, You're just feeling a bit under par that day.
2: <laughs> yeah, a bit more in, because I was, my mate always jokes that when people go, because actually, since Cory, it happens, it happens in a different way. Before people always go, What's wrong with you? And I just got a bit of a cold, a bit of sniffing, a bit tired today.
1: (laughs) I love it, I love it. (laughs) Always
3: (laughs) when we fight, I try to make you laugh till everything's forgotten. I know you hate that.
1: So, Shirley, apparently you played one of the main characters in the BBC Three comedy called I'm With Stupid, playing a character called Dorothy. Would you like to tell us a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, she was a bit mischievous. It was great, actually. It it made some really good friends on that. The lead was played by Mark Benton and Paul Henshaw. Fantastic, yeah. Um, Steve Edge was the comedy copper, and he was brilliant. I remember him choking on toenails once. (laughs) (laughs) It was was really
1: Comedy copper, I love it.
2: (laughs) It was very good. And it was basically based on a load of people who lived in a care home. Mm-hmm. So we're all disabled and we're all, we're all and um, yeah, Ruth Jones played, <gasps> oh, Jean, oh, I can't remember the main character's name. Um, I think it was Jean, mm-hmm. who was like the the home chief or whatever, do you know what I mean? She sort yeah. of like laid down the law and told us or whatever, and like, there's my mate Alan, used a voice box to speak, um, computer to talk and so but bit. So, like, his answers were pre-planned, but that was really cleverly written into the script. So, how did he always know what you're going to say? <laughs> it was just brilliant. It was, and it was so funny to do a drama where you saw, like, four Winnie Well, actually, I think we ended up caravans because they couldn't get Winnie Bagos accessible. And mind you, I've had many an accessible job. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, that, but, like, four ramps up to... Do you know what yeah, I mean? You'd never yeah. have that. And it was brilliant. And loads of disabled extras. So, it was a lot of... It was great fun. Paul! I you the idea. I like Paul.
1: Oh. Well, I just thought you kept it hidden. Oh, leave me alone! Oh, Dorothy, it's a simple mistake. i oh, come and up some boona. Uh.
2: Do one. Papadom. None.
1: Uh. It sounds fantastically groundbreaking. Did yeah. Did you feel it, it did make an impact in the in the industry?
2: I think it did. I'd I'd like to think so. Because yeah, if you think about it, there's been very few disability-led dramas.
1: Which, well, yes,
2: yes. Yes, which yes. is ironic <laughs> considering <laughs> we're fifteen percent of society.
1: Oh, absolutely. You're listening to SNS Online with my special guest, Cheryl Lee Houston.
3: say something to me, even if it's to tell me that you hate me.
2: You have always been my hero. I am not afraid of life because of you. I decided I could be a mum because of you. And I've never let my disability get in the way because of what you taught me.
3: I've only ever wanted you to be happy. To live a normal life.
2: I have cried myself to sleep every night for years, years. Sometimes I still do. Is he? Have you any idea how guilty I felt watching you struggle as a single dad, seeing Katie grow up without a mum, knowing, thinking it was all my fault? No,
0: oh, I never want you to think that.
2: So why didn't you tell me the truth?
0: I wanted you to hate her you made me
2: hate myself so you could be a hero what kind of father does that so
1: 2010 and Izzy Armstrong has has been born in Coronation Street. Tell us about the whole process, and um, were you a Corrie fan initially?
2: Yes, I grew up with Corrie. It was religion in my household. Couldn't talk when Corrie was on. Um, I knew it was happening because I'd be, been to one of many conferences over my time where they talk about what changes they can do with disability in the industry. Never happens. <laughs> but but weirdly, Kieran Roberts, who is a, he's the executive producer at Corrie, said I pledge now we will get a disabled character in and this happened a year or so before they then started auditioning so I see I was up for an audition um and at that time they didn't know the male or female character which I thought was really clever actually because actually if you pull smaller find the best actor and yeah, then create absolutely. your character if that's the way you know and I think hopefully that will change with more disabled acts being prominent mm. or known or you know or just the knowledge of their existence mm. will change but at that point so in a way, from knowing the role was going to happen, and then I auditioned, there was a group audition, and then we were all called back, and we had 24 hours to learn eight sides of pe- uh, script. Uh, so uh, that's all I did for 24 hours was non-stop that yeah. script, went to me, makes fatigue, just did the script, did the script, did the script, I knew it backwards. Yeah. Then we had a screen test, and then about five or six weeks later, I learnt I got the job.
1: Oh, that's so exciting. And, and did you know that this was quite a big deal? You weren't going to just be in and out
2: I knew it was going to be six months.
1: Okay, that's well, that's start. a good start. Yep.
2: I know, so I was uh, recording a Radio 4 uh, afternoon play with nice. uh, David Nielsen
1: at the time. I do solemnly declare that I know not of any lawful impediment to why I, I, Michael John...
2: And- I got the yes. call to so say I was in, and he just gave me a cuddle and went, welcome to the family.
1: Oh, that's, <laughs> nice. that's lovely, that's <laughs> it's
2: very, so nice. Very, very
1: lovely. So uh, you got integrated into the Windass family, and you've had some quite exciting storylines what has been some of your highlights uh, in terms of testing your metal as an actor
2: um i've learnt an awful lot about different emotions on screen because i've quite uh, sort of gone through that gambit on theatre but all my yeah. other jobs were quite you know never had a job this long mm. <laughs> you know and it's
1: much much more closer to anyway with the tv um, in terms of the theatre so large and all
2: yeah so honing that i've learnt a lot about place in your emotion. I've let, let an awful lot from the actors around me like um, and Davis who plays my dad. He's so minimal when you're watching when you're looking at him and then you see it on screen and just the flicker of an yeah, eye or the f- you see the thought. It's mm. brilliant.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, he's fantastic and, and and sadly he's leaving this year. Yeah. yeah what, what a I shame. Like apparently he's going to be setting up some new plays. He's writing the play or something? Julie, tell me.
2: He's a very good writer. He wrote mm. um, Dirty Filthy Love okay. which um, starred... What's he called, Toby? Michael Sheen. Michael
1: Sheen. Thank you, Toby Haydock in the background <laughs> there on his iPhone. <laughs>
2: you can always rely on Toby whoever anybody was.
0: Where were you a minute ago? <laughs> Scratch and sniff.
1: Online. With Nick Randall. And I suppose if they had a disabled character in ten years earlier, it might have been played by an able-bodied person, you know, just because they thought that your health insurance would have been easier. So, I mean, as Julie was saying herself, that now her character would have been played by a genuine trans so obviously things have moved forwards well not quickly but uh, they're getting there clearly
2: yeah i think that might be a ricochet of the dda of people in the in 2000 we were allowed to go to university do you know what i mean that wasn't allowed to be contended we were a lot more started to be more prominent in society and therefore people start to have a voice so people started to go hang on because it's like backing up do you know what i mean why you know or at least get audition the disabled actors and if it doesn't fit in properly you know like with the um recent film toby guy with wheelchair stephen hawking oh, yeah, 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 <laughs> right? Yeah. the stephen hawking film. you couldn't get a uh, disabled actor with that disability to play because you had to play maple bodied as well mm. but it's just yes a,
1: of course yes
2: which is interesting because people are using that to discuss disability on screen at the moment and that actors should be a uh, character should be played by disabled actors mm. but in a way that's a bit of a a funny one to hang it on Mm. because that doesn't work but i think yeah i think people started to have a voice more tv companies have started to listen and actually it seems because an able-bodied actor playing a disability they play the disability not the character because to them that's a new thing they learn i know i've used a wheelchair for 16 years so i will know how to move about in it as though i've used it for years Mm. Whereas you've got another, you look at actors who are playing that they they're all a bit, they keep bumping into things, or it's just like no,
1: they're really dodgy yeah. Dalek. <laughs> you
2: only do that when you're drunk acting. Yes.
1: <laughs> because when I watch Coronation Street, when I see Izzy Armstrong, I see another strong, feisty character. I don't, I'm not aware of a disability. It's it, it, it just doesn't impact on any level in terms of the storylines, particularly. Perhaps it did a little bit early on. Now my question to you is this I think it's fantastic that they're going in the right direction so they're not making a big deal of it but do you think perhaps there is mileage and education to be had in perhaps some future storylines which will touch on aspects of your day to day life because obviously your condition.
2: Ellis Danlos type 3
1: is the same as as Izzy's.
2: Yes we made that decision because very early on there was talk about whether she have a different disability and I said I could do that and if it was in three Three apps. Yes. If it's six months work, I've got my own access requirements to play access requirements on top of my own. Mm. Like I've got very weak upper body, so I couldn't play somebody who maybe had a, a um, car crash or something mm. that was paralysed from the waist down, excuse me, um, mm. <clears throat> because I can't push a wheelchair. I've got no upper body strength because sure. my bones dislocate, so I just couldn't yeah, yeah. do it. So, they, they were brilliant, as in they said, well, the best solution is she has your disability and then oh. you don't have to play in it. And it made such sense. Yes. And then that's fed into the storylines. It's mm. fed in a bit. I agree, but I think I the, the trouble is Corey's one of the only ones that are doing it. Mm. You can't do everything for everybody. And no. sometimes, you know, they say, daily life, yes, that is interesting. But you have to find an angle or a story to hang it mm. on, really.
1: Yeah. But, but yes, but, I
2: do, th- I, th- I think, oh, it's like, well... I've got a, a series on Radio Four next week, and that's got a catch, and it puts a lot of those daily life things in, mm. on top of the story. Do you know what I mean? So I think it's going to take time.
1: Yeah, I mean, I just was just thinking. Yes, I, I can understand that because I mean, I would like to see just within scenes like you have inconsequential chit chat in in Rita's shop and stuff like that just something you happen to be doing that that, that, that helps your daily life and but it could be in context of a conversation driving a plot forward
2: well whenever there was like a breakfast scene I'd always get my pills out my bottle of morphine do you know what I mean I do I try and put or like if I've got the baby and I've been having them all day then I'll put my wrist supports on and different things like that
1: yeah, okay, so there is some detail there, okay. Yeah. Um, I'm, I must ask you, because obviously with a disability, the Windus family have now moved <laughs> to this flat. And um, I was, uh, the, oh, the, there was a buzz. Oh, it's uh, Izzy, so uh, they'll just uh, just her in. And then it sort of cuts to you, it was sort of implied that perhaps you had been carried a bit, but it, 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 they, they they really sort of almost like shied away from it, and I found that quite odd because there's no stairlift. Oh, <laughs> you know. there is
2: a stair lift. We oh, is there? <coughs> we had um, three episodes where we mentioned how brilliant it was oh. that Owen had got um, but that's the thing, I suppose, because we've we've established it, and then it's all got, it's like people always just say, "How did you get in the factory?" And whenever we did a scene where we were going in, I would always go to the fire doors, and every, a couple of people oh. come with me but sometimes it's been cut away or if it's just yeah. you don't notice these things. But I've got um, a manual chair in the flat because obviously you couldn't get the electric chair up. Yeah. But that's why I'm always being pushed in the flat because I can't push myself around. I understand.
1: I, I think that's the problem with Corrie and what Julie was saying about that there's there there's so much Corrie out there. It's mm. almost producing a feature film in a half a week. Yeah, but can't you can't
2: remind people every week that there's a no. stair lift.
1: Because there's so much else you've got to remind them of yeah. every single episode and, and fit that into the dialogue. So, OK, I get that. OK, I'll let, I'll let you off on the stair lift one. <laughs>
2: I know, but I'm just like... (laughs) Why have you got poor and means you have to live around the corner upstairs?
1: I I felt so so sorry.
2: Gary, can you just stop? I don't want to talk about Chips. Or your mum and me, Dad. I want to... I want to talk about us.
0: You and me. What about us?
2: Come on, you can't be serious.
0: (sighs) Look, there's something that I need to...
2: Oh, Gary, can you just let me get this out, please? Please. we're broken and I don't think I know how to fix us
3: we're just going through a tough time that's all
2: it's like we're different people I'm talking to you but it's like you're a stranger I mean when do we have to stop being so polite it's, it's all changed we both know where it started but surely if we were strong enough if if we loved each other hey. enough I do love you do you well, maybe you do in some way, but when you say it, I have to really feel that you mean it. Just like when I say I love you, oh, I, w- I want to mean it.
0: And you don't anymore.
2: We both know that things have changed. We can't stay together just because we're too scared to admit it. No. Or, or too scared to be apart. No, surely it's worth fighting for. Well, then why aren't we?
1: Well, should we talk about that, Gary?
2: Bless Mikey.
1: <laughs> we, we want you to get back together.
2: Oh, <laughs> no, I love Mikey. Yeah. I do miss my... I was, the, the saving grace was we got a child together so we mm. always still work together
1: and he's such a such a fantastic actor as well
2: oh he's amazing he's brilliant he's really good mm. and you know we help each other out mm. i think he helped me out more oh. <laughs> no he's very he's, he's good at no i think we were did actually help each other quite he, mm. you know if one of you's had a bad or you just know your thoughts aren't there or or if you just thought of trying it this way you know we'd really sort of work well
1: together Excellent. Uh, oh, it just occurred to me, to, to uh, the fact that you've now moved to a brand new Corrie set. Mm. Now, How has that been for you, and have they made lots of considerations compared to the, What's the old set compared to the new for you?
2: Um, the old building used to have a lot of like little nicks on the door frames, which would kind of his wheelchair as she went through sometimes, because <laughs> there's a lot of like 180-degree turns, mm. so it was, you know it's after reverse... A bit of a 360, sort of turning your wheels to get into the green room, sort of thing. So, this is brilliant, and there's electronic doors and everything. I know, so slowly over time, because when I first started, they invited me to the set before the show, before I started filming to find out what wasn't accessible. So, they put a few drop curbs in for me. Mm. But over time, Roy's got rid of his step, Rita's got rid of her step, the bistro's gone flat do you know what I mean so like, which is lovely because in a way that's what happens in a community if you yes. have a wheelchair you slowly you know somebody puts a ramp out or you know there's a bit more awareness there
1: so and, and suddenly there's an extra window in the rover should we discuss that oh. was that aliens <laughs>
2: <laughs> I know but that, that's a proper fun noticing that
0: <laughs>
2: they've made now the whole set you can go around without touching the cobbles at all in a wheelchair or drop that's curbs right they sort of got rid of some of the cobbles outside the factory, and that's gone smooth. Mm. And there's a smooth bit by Gales. Mm. So I can actually go all the way around without, because cobbles hurt, you see. Yeah,
1: oh, God, absolutely, yeah. I wouldn't want to ride a bike on those.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, a full stop on Corrie. Um, how long do you see yourself being there? And what sort of storylines, you know, if you could create anything for the character of Izzy Armstrong, what, what sort of challenges would you like to see ahead for her?
2: Ooh. I don't know, because the the writers do always come up with stuff that I don't expect. Mm. Um, I'm enjoying my time there, so I'm definitely there for the foreseeable as I see it, hopefully. Um, Something that puts her in the mire, something that's quite gritty, out out of character for her, do you know what I mean? Something that challenges her and therefore would challenge me as an actor.
1: Oh, that sounds wonderful. And, And I was also going to ask, what about other parts? I mean, say you took a sabbatical, what other parts would you like to do in the future?
2: Oh, gosh, a variety, as big a variety as possible, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and I suppose also, I'm really happy at Corrie, though, so mm. as an actor, uh, I'm still being challenged there. Mm-hmm. But also, you know, we, we have done radio
1: and stuff. And presumably radio, in terms of a disability, you, you can not be playing a disabled character, or you can just be anybody, really.
2: Yeah, yeah. Totally, I know. So yeah, the disability always puts a different element on things, which I think is quite exciting. Yes, absolutely. Oh, I'd like yeah, somebody really Essexy, or somebody you know, Scout, or somebody a different accent. Um, you
1: could be in Doctor Who. Toby would love that. You and Toby in Doctor <laughs> Who together.
2: I'd love to be in Doctor Who. You
1: could be evil geniuses.
0: <laughs> Nothing in the world can stop me now. <laughs>
1: listening to sns online with my special guest Shirley houston and if you want to contact us about this or any other show then why not join our facebook page sns online or twitter which is scratch and tweet past shows are available again to be downloaded for free by searching for sns online on soundcloud or mixcloud by searching for me nick randall so, Shirley, what would you say to someone young listening today with a disability uh, wanting to follow their dreams either entering the path you've chosen or, or elsewhere?
2: I'd say always follow your dreams because there's always, whether you're able-bodied or disabled, there's always going to be somebody that oh, that's a, you know, <laughs> I don't think you can. But that's them playing safe. Don't take no for an answer. If you believe you can do it, you can. Mm. Push. Work hard. Re- find out what you need to do and put the hours in. Mm. You can get anywhere.
1: Absolutely, I, I agree wholeheartedly with you. Okay, Cheryl, Lee, it's time for Desert Island Risks, where you get a chance to pick a track, which is either personal, to professional reasons, or just because it makes your feet tap, or all three. What have you got to choose for us?
2: Um, I've got Frank Turner, Photosynthesis. Photosynthesis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would say that um, because that. Um, I got a series on Radio 4 on Woman's Air next week, and that's oh. the main sort of song, the character's favourite uh, track. And it was something that inspired me because it's that I won't sit down, I won't shut up. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's that like, go on, get somewhere. One, two, one, two,
0: three. Four. Well, I guess I should confess that I am starting to get old. all of the latest music fads i pop. I won't sit down, and I won't shut up, and most of all, yeah, I won't grow up. survive!
1: Frank Turner and the brilliant photosynthesis class track. You're listening to SNS Online with my special guest, Cheryl Lee Houston. Scratch and sniff. Well, as Cheryl Lee briefly alluded to earlier, she recently starred in a Radio 4 drama written especially for her, exploring her character's determination to be a bridesmaid at her best mate's wedding in the Seychelles, despite a lack of funds, a non supportive family, and EDS access requirements abroad. Introducing Maz from Lou Ramston's tinsel girl.
2: Terrified. I think terrified is the word. This time, in five hours, I'll be on a plane to the Seychelles for my best mate's wedding. And if you're coming along for the ride, I suppose we should get to know each other. Me? I love duty-free. And corny jokes. I hate lateness. I use a wheelchair. Oh, and I'm spending my last five minutes in my flat sewing cannabis into the lining of my suitcase. Hello. Oh, hola. What are you doing down there? Checking in, I hope. I didn't even see you behind the desk. You're in a wheelchair. Thanks for noticing. Oh, well, I would do. We all get disability awareness training here. Passport. And let's get you some assistance, shall we? Erfan? Erfan, lady in a wheelchair. Thanks. And luggage is there? On the belt, please. Oh, um, And perhaps the gentleman behind you could help. Sir? Hmm? Could you give this lady a hand?
3: Oh, uh, sure. Oh,
2: really, there's, there's no need... Good, man. And did you pack this yourself, sweetheart? Uh, no, my nurse did it for me. Oh, of course. And do you know if your nurse put any blades, aerosols or any other prohibited items in there? I was kidding, I haven't got a nurse. Uh, no, left my weapon arsenal at home. <laughs> Look at you, you're funny and everything. Pack up your trouble, get your own
1: with that. Maz there managing to be funny and everything... In a wheelchair. Oh so Shirley, let's just talk a little bit about you know, the actual condition you have and, and day-to-day life for you as a person, not as Izzy in Coronation Street. And, and um, yeah, how, how that goes for you? Ooh. <laughs> it's quite
2: <laughs> a biggie. Um, it's funny, because actually years ago I probably wouldn't have talked about this, but now I okay. feel because I've kind of shown I can do my job, I don't mind as much. Uh, I'm a chronic pain sufferer. Which, uh, I've got LSDN type 3 and fibromyalgia. Um, LSD type 3 means all my sockets are too big so all my joints dislocate and there's a collagen deficiency in my muscles, tendons and ligaments so they hairline tear as I move so eventually everything's sprained and torn Um, dislocations happen multiple times a day you're forever putting things back in or they just pop back in Um, so it's very tiring I'm on a quite not as many drugs as I should be, <laughs> which mm. is quite good. Mm. And I'm always trying to play with those to make sure that I stay on a low diet, you know, find other ways through diets and exercise, other things that can help me. Um, but, yeah, I at the moment, I'm doing this fasting thing, which is making a massive difference to me. Oh. How um, does that help, then? Well... Prior to the last year, I'd used two to three days a week, and I still lose probably about one a month, where I, and it used to be horrendous, it used to, I'd finish work on a Friday and I'd get back up on a Monday out of bed. Couldn't speak, couldn't really move, because I'd torn everything and I was in so much pain, even like morphine wasn't making much impact. Um, But now fasting, I mean, it's quite hard to be warned with medication, (laughs) don't Mm. take this lightly, Mm because you need to be on medication and you can fast. Mm. But I won't eat, I'll eat a lunch and then I won't eat again to the following lunch and I'll do that in summer twice a week in winter three times a week. Yeah. And it just means after 16 hours your body starts going to healing itself mode. It's from when we were hunter-gatherers or your body sends all hungry, not eating for 16 hours, need to make myself as strong as I can for the next kill or the next yeah. find. Yeah. So if you don't eat... You've got to take a lot of advice on this though. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> saying this lightly and, you know, check with your medication. But for me I have found that I don't have those massive I don't dip. I have two you know, two days or so, then I'm fast, which means I've got back to day one as though I've been in bed for two days. Mm. So yeah, it's it's fascinating. But I'm still learning about it before I can sort of fully share.
1: It, it is fascinating, but it's also wonderful that you've you've worked something out that's, that's, that's better for you. Because you look fantastic.
2: Well, I don't know. I just, yeah, I eat a lot of vegetables and I do a lot of juicing.
1: I have to do. Don't rub it in, love, just because I like pizzas. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: love a pizza. <laughs> Scratch and sniff.
1: Online! With Nick Randall. So, Cheryl, it's time for track two of your Desert Island risks. What have you chosen for us?
2: And my second is Jake Bug, just because it. He- and my songs change all the time, but this is the one at the moment that's making me... Just, I just think yeah. to it. It's a good thinker called Note to Self.
3: Carol, you've been forgetting Just how special you really are And I try to remind you Sometimes I can't find you, but the truth is in your heart. So right a note to yourself Girl, don't beat yourself up. Your best is good enough, so pick the pen up. And write a note to yourself, a note to yourself, don't be cruel, cause things do happen, and you know it's not your fault, don't cover your wounds, with the song. Gil, let me tell you what I see You've got to believe me, you're a thing of beauty Gil, put it in an envelope And put it in the post, it'll come back to your door And read a note to yourself, note to yourself Not your fault. Don't cover your wounds with the soul. And right
1: So, Shirley, thank you so much for joining us on Scratch and Stiff tonight. Here's your celebrity goodie oh, bag. Um, yes, there's some champagne in there and chockeys oh and smellies goodness. and all the rest of it. Oh, that's so.
2: beautiful. Thank you. I never expected that at all. That's all so our lovely. guests get them there. Oh, oh wow. Well, that is exciting. That's, wow. I'll do some good sound. Oh, oh. oh sound weirdly, in. I only saw these chocolates today. Yes. Oh, no, yesterday they were in the green room at Corrie and I was like, ooh. Other, no, I didn't, other
1: brands of chocolate are available.
2: <laughs> never mentioned the make, I just thought they look good. <gasps> They're very pretty.
0: Wow.
1: Fantastic. Will you enjoy that? And, um...
0: Sorry.
2: going
1: into things. <laughs> you can open it later. Um, Shirley Houston, thank you so much for joining us tonight.
2: Thank you very much. What an enjoyable interview.
1: Our thanks again go to the wonderful Shirley Houston with a couple of brief asides from past SNS guest Toby Haydock. We return to London for our next edition featuring broadcaster and author of Dear Zari Hidden Stories from Women of Afghanistan, Zarguna Kaga. But until then, from me, Nick Randall, goodbye.
0: Now I'll play. And you sing the perfect way for the evening to begin. Now I'll play. And you sing The perfect way for an evening to begin And I won't sit down